What's good, everybody? I'm Dion Rabowin for The Wall Street Journal, and this is WSJ's Take on the Week, the show where we break down the most important things to watch in business and financial news. We cut through the noise to get you ready for what matters. Stocks fell last week, with the Nasdaq turning lower for the third week in a row. Both the Nasdaq and the S&P 500 entered correction territory during the week, meaning the indexes have dropped 10% from their last high. That said, the Nasdaq is still up by 20% year-to-date, and the S&P is up by around 7%. Wall Street hasn't been talking much about crypto this year, but silence has been golden for digital assets. The price of Bitcoin has jumped by more than 100% year-to-date and gained more than 10% just last week. That jump was largely tied to news that the SEC will not appeal a court ruling that paved the way for a new Bitcoin trading vehicle for professional money managers and retail investors to bet on the cryptocurrency. We'll get into what's next for Bitcoin, Ethereum, and other digital assets as we look ahead to this week's expected earnings report from Coinbase, the biggest crypto exchange in the U.S. But before we talk about all that, you already know what time it is. It's Fed Week. It's time to get your popcorn ready for JP Money and the gang. Chair Jerome Powell and the Fed will begin their two-day policy meeting on Halloween, Tuesday, October 31st, and will hear from the chairman on Wednesday. Members of the Fed's rate-setting committee have been hard at work in recent weeks, making the case that moves in financial markets have done some of the Fed's work for them by tightening financial conditions. You see it with higher business loan rates and the highest mortgage rates in 23 years. Tighter financial conditions mean that the market, rather than the Fed, raises rates and tightens up the economy. As Powell said earlier this month in a speech, that could mean the Fed won't need to raise rates again this year. But why have financial conditions tightened? And what does that actually mean? More importantly, what does what we've heard from Fed officials about markets and about economic data tell us about what to expect at their meeting this week? To help answer those questions, I'm joined by WSJ Markets reporter Gunjan Banerjee and WSJ Economics reporter Harriet Torrey. Harriet, I want to come to you first. The data on the U.S. economy has been surprisingly strong. Why has the data been so strong and why has that been surprising? This has largely come down to consumers. So at the beginning of this year, most economists thought that the economy was going to head into a recession pretty quickly. And there are numerous reasons for this, but the overriding reason was the Fed raising interest rates. They've raised rates very sharply, very quickly to a 22-year high. And I think, you know, most people just thought, okay, consumers are going to buckle eventually. Housing loans are getting much more expensive. Auto loans are much Mm -hmm. more expensive. People are running down their pandemic savings. Credit card interest rates are at an all-time high. Exactly. But at the same time, what we've seen is that the labor market has stayed really strong. And that means, you know, more people getting jobs, people getting wage increases, and that has enabled them to keep spending. And that has come as a surprise, I think, just the strength of the consumer um, over these past few months. And they've also been helped by the fact that inflation has cooled a lot. It's come down from its highs of last summer. We have some other things that are going on in the economy as well. You know, we've seen um, bond yields, which through the tightening of financial conditions that that implies, um, that kind of helps the Fed maybe stay on hold. But inflation is still not back where the Fed wants it to be. 
And I think that actually is a perfect segue for us to bring in Gunjan here because I want to talk to you about that exact thing, the tightening of financial conditions. The Fed says this over and over and over. From what you're seeing in the market, what does it mean for financial conditions to tighten and how are we seeing that? I mean, it's been wild times in the government bond market. These wild have been... <laughs> times in the government bond market. Whoever thought we'd say that? It actually is. It's, it's wild times in the government bond market. We're seeing moves we haven't seen in decades. Actually not normal for treasuries to move at this rate and to see bond yields jump at the pace People that they have. People are talking about bonds, and I love it. I love it, too. This whole tightening of financial conditions discussion is really interesting because I think we all think of the Fed as this really powerful institution, and what the Fed does impacts markets and and impacts the economy. But now what Fed speakers are talking about is not the Fed influencing markets. They're talking about the markets influencing the Fed. They're saying that Treasury yields have moved up so much that they've actually tightened financial conditions without the Fed having to increase interest rates. And when bond yields rise, you see a tightening of financial conditions. Mm -hmm. So it's more expensive to borrow money for things like buying a house, buying a car, whatever you want to buy with your credit card. That interest, the cost to borrow money rises, and that makes it more expensive and people are less likely and less inclined to do it. Exactly. Maybe they'll stop spending. Maybe the economy will start to cool because you're seeing this tightening of financial conditions. And Gunjan, what are investors saying or what are you hearing from investors about what comes next? It's really interesting because I think for so long, um, people did not believe the Fed, right? The Fed kept saying interest rates are going to be higher for longer. They're going to be higher for longer. And what investors were saying was, we don't believe you. We think there's going to be interest rate cuts by the end of 2023. They thought there would already be cuts. And now finally, you're seeing the market absorb this idea that, yes, interest rates are going to be higher for longer. So I want to ask a question to both of you. We've got the Fed meeting coming up this week. How do you think that their meeting could alter the way that investors are looking at the economic data? A lot of investors I've been speaking with are not expecting more rate hikes. A lot of investors are expecting the Fed to be done. So I think it'll be Mm -hmm. really interesting to hear what Powell has to say on future pauses, as well as um, the extent to which this jump in Treasury yields that we've seen, um, how that's affecting his calculus on further rate hikes. And what about you, Harriet? Well, I think that the Fed is going to stress its data dependence. And I, the Fed always stresses its data dependence. That's not something mm-hmm. that's like particularly new. But I think in this case, the Fed has been really clear that it wants to see sustained readings of inflation easing. And so far, that's been, you know, in the past couple of months, that's been a bit more of a mixed bag. So I think people will be watching very closely to see what Powell says about inflation, about where it wants inflation to head. And people will be interested in hearing what he has to say about the economy and its strength and how the Fed is assessing that, because we have seen an economy that has really defied a lot of expectations over the past year and how people are sort of stomaching higher rates. Because for now, it does seem like consumers are are powering ahead, even even in the Mm. face of a big increase in borrowing costs. I think powering ahead is is the perfect way to describe what's happening, right? Because it really hasn't been a limping along. It's been full speed ahead, especially what we saw in the last retail sales report. Yeah, retail sales were really strong. And yes, there are other things going on in the economy. But for a lot of consumers... This is this is not a bad time. They're catching up on things that they didn't do in the pandemic. They're going to the concerts. They're having the meals out. They're they're you know doing the YOLO, the YOLO spending. 
<laughs> YOLO. A lot of YOLO spending. Yes. I love it. People are still YOLO spending. They're mm. not YOLO trading. They're not YOLO trading. Yeah, what happened to the YOLO trade? It's fizzled. It's fizzled big time. Why? Um, the NASDAQ uh, is still up more than 20% year to date. That's a great year. I think a lot of investors, individual investors, if they didn't own the Magnificent Seven or the big tech stocks or whatever they're what called are, these days. Tell us what the Magnificent Seven are. Like the Apples, Amazons, NVIDIA, Teslas of the world. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's seven of the biggest stocks out there. If they didn't own those, they were lagging behind the market. The days of kind of picking s- small cap stocks and riding the momentum higher and like these viral stock market sensations have, have really gone away, mm-hmm. um, even though the market has rallied this year. Instead, people are turning to the government bond market. They are buying treasuries. They're buying treasuries. Bonds. That's the new YOLO trade is buying buying is treasuries. It going, <laughs> going long treasuries, YOLO. <laughs> Get these government <laughs> bonds. Um, I think so. I mean, th- there's just been a ton of online interest in buying them. That's where That's where all the attention is right now. For those of you who don't know, the term YOLO was popularized by the rappers Drake and Lil Wayne in a 2011 song called The Motto. It's an acronym for You Only Live Once. Anyway, now that you're ready for the Fed, we're going to talk about crypto when we get back from the break. And all you crypto skeptics out there, stick with us. You're going to want to hear this conversation. I promise. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. Robert Half is here to help. Our recruiting professionals utilize our proprietary AI to connect businesses with highly skilled talent. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. While some of you were sleeping on crypto... It has gone on a massive run this year, radically outperforming stocks and bonds. But there are lots of people who are, understandably, a bit skittish about investing in cryptocurrency. And there are others who would otherwise be invested, but are not because their money and crypto is being held in one of the crypto firms that has filed for bankruptcy over the past year. Genesis, BlockFi, Voyager, Three Arrows, Celsius, FTX, all holding billions of dollars worth of assets and all now defunct. And one, FTX, has a CEO currently on trial facing felony fraud charges. It's important to point out that FTX CEO Sam Bankman-Fried has pleaded not guilty to all charges. Unlike those companies, Coinbase offered those who wanted access to the crypto market a publicly traded company with investor disclosures, SEC compliance, and quarterly earnings reports. The company's stock is up by 100% year-to-date, about 13 times the return of the S&P 500. I should also point out that the stock has lost about 75% of its value since it debuted as a public company in 2021. So there is that. We reached out to Coinbase and they declined to comment. But what comes next for Coinbase and for crypto as a whole? Jeff Dorman, the chief investment officer of Arca, a crypto-focused asset manager, joins me now to talk about it. Jeff, I think a lot of folks think, okay, if crypto prices are going up, then companies like Coinbase that touch the crypto space will do well. Is that still true? 
And if so, what do you think the upcoming earnings report from Coinbase is going to tell us about crypto? So essentially what you're asking about is betas, right? Meaning, can you predict in any meaningfully statistical way, what is the relationship to Coinbase stock relative to the price of Bitcoin or Ethereum or other tokens, right? Is this a barometer? Um, you know, a good way to think about it is, you know, you look at how gold miners trade relative to gold, right? Usually gold miners have a pretty high beta to gold and you can, you know, model out, well, if gold price goes, you know, X percent higher, then we expect a significantly higher increase in the price of the gold miners. Coinbase, uh, as well as MicroStrategy and some other, you know, quote unquote, crypto stocks generally have about a 1.3 beta to the price of Bitcoin. When you say at 1.3 beta to Bitcoin, what does that mean? That means, in essence, um, for every 1% move in Bitcoin's price, you'd expect a 1.3% move in Coinbase's price. Over time, Coinbase's beta will probably uh, decrease relative to Bitcoin, again, because they have all these other business lines that are starting to produce revenue that are not as directly related to Bitcoin. And as a result, by that very nature, Coinbase's business lines and revenue streams are just less dependent on the price of Bitcoin than they used to be. They still are a little bit dependent for sure, but it's it's going to smooth out over time. Interesting. The other thing I think about this is reputation, right? When crypto and the price of Bitcoin and Ethereum and others were just going up and up and up, there was this trail of folks kind of falling over themselves, particularly on Wall Street, to get involved in Bitcoin, Ethereum, the crypto space somehow, some way. Now we've got this Sam Bankman-Fried trial going on with prosecutors uh, making the case that he committed fraud. You've also got reports about Hamas using cryptocurrency to finance terror operations. It feels like there's a lot of bad headlines about crypto right now. And I wonder if that sentiment has affected the market. Oh, it definitely has. We were on record in early 2023 that we thought the crypto markets had bottomed. But we had no idea what would actually take it higher because there was such a negative sentiment um, mm -hmm. and, and very little you know, reason for investors to put more money in. You know, we thought the events of 2022, which had a lot of negativity around all these bankruptcies and fraud and hacks and things like that, would certainly send a lot of investors away from the digital assets market. And, and that's been true. Right? We've seen outflows in the industry. We've seen, you know, macro investors leave. These were events and, and situations that happened in 2022 that damaged sentiment, but have very little to do with forward outlooks of what these individual investments are doing. So, the forward outlook for what is happening to Bitcoin, which is a currency, or Ethereum, which is a layer one protocol, suggests growth, even though 2022 was such a terrible year in terms of uh, 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 centralized businesses around crypto going out of mm -hmm. business and, and, and in some cases fraudulent. I think that brings us back to this question of Coinbase, because I feel like Coinbase is that thing that a traditional financial investor can point to and say, oh, yeah, I can put my money there and that'll let me touch Bitcoin or that'll let me touch the crypto space. So what could we learn from this week's Coinbase earnings report that's going to tell us where crypto is headed or crypto investing? If you're a casual investor and just sort of don't really know that much about crypto, but you know about Coinbase, if you listen, listen to their earnings calls and read their transcript, there's a good chance they're going to talk about all these other business lines that even though they don't generate a lot of revenue or earnings for Coinbase today, they'll go into more detail about the future applications of this industry and where they're seeing growth. And I think that is going to give you sort of just a, a, a high level 
uh, overview of the different areas of blockchain and digital assets that Coinbase and others are starting to invest money and energy into. That was ARCA Chief Investment Officer Jeff Dorman. When we come back, we'll talk about Starbucks and what its upcoming earnings report this week could tell us about the changing face of labor in the U.S. I'm even going to sing for you, so stay tuned. This episode is brought to you by Vanta. Managing the requirements for modern security programs is increasingly challenging. Vanta's trust management platform helps you quickly assess risk, streamline security reviews, and automate compliance for SOC 2, ISO 27001, and more. Plus, save time by completing security questionnaires with Vanta AI. Learn how by watching Vanta's on-demand demo at vanta.com WSJ. That's V-A-N-T-A dot WSJ. All right, one more thing before we get out of here. This week, we are expecting to get the latest earnings report from Starbucks. And while the company is always worth watching for what its earnings tell us about the health of retail, food service, and U.S. consumers, this report has a little something extra. The U.S. economy appears to be entering a new world when it comes to the power struggle between companies and workers. For some workers these days, it's been a whole new world. And that's a world where workers have more power. A whole new world. I'm, I, I'm sorry. I promise I will never, ever sing again. Uh, Starbucks was early to this new world. In 2021, workers at a Buffalo, New York store voted to unionize, setting off a flurry of organizing activity that has only grown since. More than 300 U.S. cafes have now voted to unionize. But so far, Starbucks does not have union contracts at any store. We reached out to Starbucks and they said of their workers, quote, we respect their right to organize and engage in lawful union activities and collectively bargain. We are committed to progressing negotiations towards first contracts. My colleague Heather Haddon covers restaurants for The Journal, and she explains that investors, along with leaders at other retail companies, are likely to be watching Starbucks' upcoming earnings report and an investor presentation the company is calling its, quote, reinvention update. New CEO Lakshman Narasimhan, who took the reins a little more than a year ago, is expected to have a lot to tell investors. We have had an unprecedented rise of union activity in sectors where it hasn't traditionally been successful, like retail, which, you know, Starbucks is a big retailer. This is a dance, and that's what a lot of investors are going to be looking for at their next investor meeting, where the CEO is expected to update its long-term guidance when it comes to profits and sales. And its guidance on profit really does depend on its investments in part, um, you know, how much it needs to invest into its workers and to its cafes um, to make them run well, while also trying to make shareholders happy. Heather doesn't expect Starbucks to say much about its relationship with employees and the growing push for unionization at its cafes. That's not something Starbucks usually talks about. But if the company is indeed having to pay up to keep employees and to keep them happy, you will see that on the company's bottom line. And learning the things companies don't really want to tell you is what earnings season is all about. And that's everything you need to know to take on the week for Sunday, October 29th. 
The show is produced by Jess Jupiter. Jonathan Sanders is our booking producer. Michael Laval and Jessica Fenton are our sound designers. Michael also wrote our theme music. Aisha Al-Muslim is our development producer. Scott Salloway and Chris Zinsley are the deputy editors. And Falana Patterson is the head of news audio for The Wall Street Journal. For even more, head to WSJ.com. I'm Dion Rabowen. Stay smart. This message comes from Viking, committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, destination-focused dining, and cultural enrichment on board and on shore. And every Viking voyage is all-inclusive with no children and no casinos. Discover more at viking.com.